Christmas, everybody. We feeling okay out there? Don't be all somber on me. It's Christmas. This is supposed to be celebratory. It's a good time. Uh, I love the story that uh, Laurie Odom read a moment ago from Luke chapter 2. And we talk about Christmas and you think about that night and, and how special that night was. The shepherds are just doing the shepherd thing. They were working. They were the working class. They got the graveyard shift. They're up all night tending to these sheep. And an angel of the Lord shows up. And it wasn't like they said, oh, this must be the Christmas story that we've been reading about prophesied in the Old Testament. No, they were shaking in their shepherd's robes. And we know that because the angels said the opening line that angels always say when they appear on the scene, do not be afraid. And then the angel says in verse 10, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Because what we're talking about tonight, what we're talking about during the season is good news. It's good news, come on, it's good news, amen? It's good news that should cause great joy for all the people. Some of you are like, no, it's old news. That's restrictive news. That's boring news. Uh, no, no, this, this news is the best news. This story, this gospel, this, the pages of this book, it's, it's the best news. It's life-changing and life-giving news. And if you're kind of waning into this Christmas season for whatever reason, and you're not experiencing great joy, I'm not talking about occasional happiness or a smile here and there. I'm talking about a real sense of inside joy Maybe it's because you've disconnected from the good news because the good news should bring great joy. And the great joy is caused by good news and the best news, it's for all the people. I know there's somebody in the room, maybe on the back row, or <laughs> saying, well, not for me, Reed, not for me. It may be for everybody else on my row, but this news is not for me. You don't, know what, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did last night. I'm so thankful the angel of the Lord didn't show up and say, this is good news that will cause great joy for all the people except that guy in the back. He ain't getting it. He didn't say that. He said it's for all the people. So if you can hear my voice, whether you're in the building or you're listening on a podcast, or you're watching on Facebook Live, this news is for you. I absolutely love Christmas. I love the giving and receiving of gifts. I, I love uh, the presents and the pageantry and the parades and the, uh, the movies and the music, the lights, the trees, and even the traffic. But the reason that we celebrate this season is in front of me. So my father-in-law let me borrow his nativity set and uh, I told him I, I will not do it. I won't break this. This is his prized possession. He has possessions more valuable than this, but this was his wallpaper on his phone for a long, long time. Like he really likes this set and I do too. It's beautiful. But I love it. And, and when it's set up right, the thing I like about it is all of the characters' eyes are all focused on Jesus. We lit that candle, the Jesus, the Christ candle. It's the center. He's supposed to be the center. And all of their eyes are focused on Jesus. I love that. I love that. We had a, um, a nativity set growing up. You probably had something like that in your home. Uh, my mother and father had these uh, large metal tins and we would take them out of the attic and they had all of the different characters and they were wrapped in old copies of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and I remember unwrapping each of them and before I'd unwrap I'm trying to figure out which character was which and I and I always knew Jesus because he was the smallest 
What's interesting, in 1223 A.D., St. Francis of Assisi is kind of credited for creating or inventing the nativity scene. And now they're everywhere. They're in your home, they're on your mantles, they're in your lawns. Now, our church used to have a living nativity where you could drive through and people in the church would act out the characters. We stopped doing that because it's just cold. Not today, but most of the time it's cold. Had we had a living nativity, it would have been 32 degrees outside. But here's the thing, I'm not so concerned with how your nativity set is set up in your lawn or in your home. I am concerned with how your nativity set is set up in your hearts. Because all of us, this is a, this is a picture of our lives. You see, we have something that's at the center of our lives. There's something our eyes are focused on. And so that's why the setup is most critical. Our, our lives revolve around something in our solar system. Everything revolves around the sun. If we didn't have the sun, I'm not real sure what our solar system would even look like. Our lives revolve around something. And for us, our eyes must be fixated on Christ. If it's not set up right, it just doesn't look right. And some of you came in to, today and maybe you're visiting family for the holiday. And they said, you want to go to church? You're like, I guess <laughs> you're here and you say, you know what, I go to church where I'm at when I can. And I read my Bible some. And I'll even pray before meals. But if I asked you and you were real with me, how you doing? I think there's a lot of you that say my life's pretty jacked up. It's kind of a mess. And maybe it's because your life's not set up right. And it's not that you took Jesus out of the picture Maybe you just moved him out to the peripheral and something else has taken the place as a central focus in your life. Let me, let me give you an example. And by the way, I love the babies. Don't feel like you're, listen, we're celebrating a baby. That's what we're doing. So you babies, you just give me amens and hallelujahs. That's all good. All right. So here, here's, here's what's happening. Look, sometimes we put, uh, we'll put the shepherd there. So the shepherd to me represents the working class. He was working that night. He was working the graveyard shift. And some of us, we put work as kind of the central focus in our lives. And if I'm honest with you, this, this nine to five, Monday through Friday, I'm guilty of that too. This is probably the one that I struggle with the most because I work for God and I have a relationship with God and sometimes that line gets blurred for me. And I work too much. And I don't focus on my relationship with Jesus near enough. But it makes sense to me that, that work could be the central focus of our lives because that's what we spend most of our lives doing. We spend a lot of time at work. In fact, probably 90 plus percent of you, your social life is also in your, with your coworkers because you spend time with them at work and then you become friends and so you wanna hang out after work and do social things. It makes total sense to me, but here's the problem with this. This whole month we've been talking about John 16, 33 and, and Jesus in that text says, in this world you're gonna have trouble. That's a promise. You're going to have difficult days. And in those moments, typically we press on or we lean into whatever is the central thing in our life. And if you lean into or press on your job, your employer, they're not going to handle that kind of pressure because you're asking them to play a role they were never intended to play. Let me give you another example. So we'll put the shepherd back and let's just move up one of these. These, these we three kings of Orianar, these magi, these wise men. We don't really know if there were three. There could have been a whole lot more. We know they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, they, were, they were wealthy. 
Myrrh was incredibly expensive back then. And, and I hate to burst your Christmas bubble, but they probably shouldn't be in your nativity set, if I'm being honest. They probably showed up when Jesus was around two years old. Uh, but it just looks so much prettier with them there, doesn't it? It just looks more full. But to be more historically accurate, you should probably move the wise men to like the bathroom and then inch them closer to the nativity every day for the next two years. And that would be more accurate so that they get there in 2021. Uh, but for the sake of tonight, we'll just keep them here. But they represent wealth and success and, and education and dreams. And those are good things, but they don't, they don't give you happiness. Wealth, and, and God's not against you being wealthy. He just doesn't want wealth to have you. And so we pursue those things. And I'll, I'll say it, pursue it. I just, it just doesn't make you happy. And if you don't believe me, ask anyone who's successful and wealthy. It's just not what brings them happiness. It's not. I had a friend um, in Austin who called me and, and he said, I got some news. And I said, what's going on? Well, let me give you a backstory on the gentleman. He, he is a workaholic. We have 168 hours in a week and I'd be shocked if he wasn't working at least 84 of those. When you factor in sleeping and eating and traffic and all the things that just consume us in life, his family was getting the scraps left over on the table. And he's working so hard to provide for this family whom he loves very much. And his wife has called him and said, I want to file for divorce. And so the thing that he's trying to build this fortune for says, we don't even know who you are anymore. So I know most of us would not say, well, I don't put money as the focus, but we do. We do. Don't put your hope in wealth. Again, attain wealth. That's awesome. Just don't let wealth have you. Don't put your hope in wealth. First Timothy 6, 17 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. He says, don't put your hope in wealth. It's uncertain. But he goes on to say, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So don't put your hope in that. But we do. We put our hope in our wealth and we go into debt and we buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't even really like. <laughs> we do. I don't know why we do that, but we do. All right, we're going to move him out of the way. Let's move, let's move Mother Mary to the front. So Mary and Joseph here are going to represent uh, family. And that almost sounds biblical, family first, All right? Marriage, your kids, your relationships. And, and God is obviously pro-family. He gave you your family. He wants you to have family. But let me ask you this question. Have any of you been hurt by people and other people have the same kinds of people in their life and yet they remain unaffected? Why is that? Perhaps it's because you're putting a pressure on them to play a role they were never intended to play. Let me give you an example. So I get the opportunity uh, on occasion to go preach elsewhere, preach all over the country in different states. And it's an awesome opportunity and honor to be asked to preach elsewhere. And uh, when my son was pretty young, I've got an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, but when my oldest was about four... I was really getting some opportunities to preach different places. And uh, one day I was about to get on a plane, leave the state. And uh, I went to tuck him in the night before I was leaving very early in the morning. And he looked at me and he said, don't go. And I said, baby, do you know why I'm going? And he goes, not really. And I said, because there's some people that don't know Jesus. And so they've asked daddy to come and share Jesus with those people. And my son at four years old goes, I guess you should go then. And so I go and I preach at these events. And, and while I'm at the events, I often say, hey, listen, I'm here. And I'm honored to be here. But if I had my choice, if I was selfish and I had my choice, I'd much rather be home with my family than be here with you. 
doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I love them a whole lot more than I love you. But I'm here because this is where God wants me to be this week. I'm not with them because this is where God wants me to be this week. And then I get home and I'm not met with resentment and my wife going, you've been gone all week. She doesn't do that because they understand that's where God was supposed to have me that week. Does that make sense? So they're not, they're not depending on me. Are we happy as a family? Absolutely. Are we happier when we're together as a family? Sure. But we don't find our joy in each other. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We find our joy in the Lord, Nehemiah 8.10. That's where we find our joy. Is this registering? Does that make sense? Like I tell my wife every day, I say, honey, you're beautiful and I love you. But I don't have to say that. I need to say that as a husband who loves my wife. I love you. You're beautiful. But I don't have to say that because what I'm doing is I'm only echoing and amening what God has already said is true of her from the foundations of the earth. So I'm just saying, I love you and you're beautiful. She's going, I know. Like she doesn't need that validation. She doesn't say that. She doesn't need that validation from me because she already knows that because she's not waiting on me to, to compliment her. She gets that in Christ. So if, if, I, if I have these pressures on, I need you to validate me. I'm putting them as the central focus. No, Christ is our central focus. And so when I say, I love you, you're beautiful, she goes, God made me this way. This, this making sense? All right, then, then we've got, uh, some of your nativity sets, they actually have, I gotta do some rearranging here. They actually have the animals separate. Um, this one doesn't. I need a bigger table. All right. They have the animals separate. This one doesn't have the animals separate. The animal is actually attached to the shepherd. But just pretend like I got the animal here and the animal separate, okay? So we'll do the animal. Now some of you are going, read, really, really, animals. No, I've seen some of your Instagram accounts. Some of you have that as a central focus of your life, okay? And some of you uh, will remain nameless. I'm not going to poke fun, but you put your dogs in costumes like the one behind me and stop. They don't like that. Look at their faces. They don't like that. Stop it, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> the animals, they're going to represent... Uh, things we enjoy, our hobbies, our recreations, our lake houses. And again, God is okay with you liking those things. He just doesn't want you to like those things more than you like him. He doesn't want you to put your hope in a football team. If you put your hope in a football, if you put your hope in the Dallas Cowboys, who can't score nine, they scored nine points. They had three field goals. That's all they had was three field goals in the most important game of the year. They can't even get in the end zone. That's the whole point of the football game is to get in the end zone. They can't even get in the, I'm sorry. Listen, when you put your hope in a football team, like the Cowboys half the year, you're depressed. I talked to a guy recently and he goes, I just, I put my hope in this, it's a college team. And he goes, my whole year's just been up and down with the wins and losses. And I said, man, you're putting your hope and your joy in a 19 year old. Think about that, man. I used to work at Papacitos in, in Austin. And if you're in the waiting industry, the serving industry, you understand this, you know that I'm, I'm right. Uh, I loved game day because the restaurants were full. I loved it. And we would go and people would come to the restaurants. When the Longhorns won, it was awesome. 20, 25% at every table because everybody's happy. When they lost, I'm lucky to get 12%. I'm like, come on, man, I got rent. I didn't throw that interception. I got to pay my rent, right? 15 at least. But we do, we get so focused on, on these recreational things and we got to be careful. And again, some of you might be saying, well, we'll read. I mean, I go to church. I'm in church now. And I pray I try to read my Bible, but your life's not looking right. Maybe, maybe it's just set up wrong. 
I love being a pastor. I love it. And the thing I love most about it is not preaching, although I love preaching. The thing I love most about it are those conversations I have with you in my office, privately, just the two of us or three of us if you're married. I love sitting down with a couple or an individual and saying, you know what? Your job, that's important, but you need to clock out and you need to, you need to be off when you're off and turn your phone off. And that goes here. And your family is certainly important. Just don't make it the most important. And, and you know, it's okay to have money. Just don't let money have you. And I love helping people put Jesus back at the center of their lives. I love it. I, uh, I love the Bible. It's, it's very practical. In this book, there's so many things about uh, money and stress and marriage and children and time. And it's just a really practical book. And one of my favorite books in the book of the Bible uh, is Colossians. Colossians is very short. It's in the New Testament. It's only four chapters. It's very practical teaching. Um, the, with the, the first chapter is a little poetic. People read the first chapter and they say, that is beautiful. I have no idea what he said, but it's beautiful. It's just really uh, very poetic language. But you can read the whole thing in about 12 minutes. I want to read you three verses out of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 in... Uh, Right before verse 15, there's a little subheading in my Bible, probably in your Bible as well. Those were added after the Bible was written, but there's a little subheading, and mine says the supremacy of the Son of God. Yours might say the supremacy of Christ or the supremacy of Jesus, but it probably says something like the supremacy, meaning that, that Christ should be supreme. He should be the, the, the center of everything. Like our solar system, everything revolves around the sun and, and our lives, everything in Christianity, everything in our lives should revolve around the person of Jesus. He is supreme. All right, verse 15 says, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And that's what we're celebrating right now. We're celebrating Christmas, the firstborn over all creation. I love that, that God... He says, I want to give you a gift, a gift at Christmas. I want you to serve me, but it's really difficult to serve someone I can't see. He says, I'm invisible, so I'm going I'm to fix that. I'm going to robe myself in flesh. I'm going to come down to the earth, and I'm going to live among you. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. That's why he was born. He was born with Easter on his mind. I'm coming to save sinners. Well, if he was coming only to die, why didn't he die immediately? He lived for 33 years. Why would he live for 33 years if he was born to die? Because he wanted to experience life and pain and heartbreak. And he wanted to have issues and relational problems and cry tears and have temptations. And he did all of that so that you could trust him as a best friend. He said, I want to understand you and I want you to understand me. Look at verse 16. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and here's the kicker, in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. I'm just going to leave that verse up there, uh, and we're going to camp out on that with the rest of our short time I have left. In him all things hold together. This message is for those of you in the room who's it's dedicated to you who would say, I'm, I'm here, I've got on my Christmas sweater and I'm sweating a little bit because it's a little warm in here. 
and I put on my smile and somebody greeted me outside and they said, how you doing? And I said, good. But the reality is I'm not good. My life's a wreck. Or maybe my life's not a wreck, but there's a certain area of my life that's in complete disarray. Maybe your life's just set up wrong. Maybe. Could it be that something that only Jesus can hold, a role he is intended to play, something else has migrated into that spot and is playing a role they were never intended to play? And some of you are saying, okay, Pastor Reed, I got it. You've somewhat convinced me. What's my next step? I am a next steps kind of guy. I, I can't stand going and listen to an motivational speaker and they don't tell me how to fix it. I'm gonna tell you how to fix it. You ready? Three quick things. Number one is I want you to invite Jesus to take his rightful place. You gotta invite him, by the way. Revelation three is a beautiful text and Jesus himself says, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm not gonna barge in, I'm a gentleman. I've gotta be asked in. Listen to me. Some of you, and you know who you are, he has been knocking on your door for a long time. What are you waiting on? Let this be the Christmas you finally let him in. You gotta invite Jesus to take his rightful place. I think for me, um, right here on this front row in Vacation Bible School when I was nine years old, I accepted my Christ as Savior. Um, they were talking about heaven and hell, and hell didn't sound very fun. I said, I'll go to heaven. That'd be great. So <laughs> I took him as Savior. But it was about six years later that I was actually at um, a thing called Walk to Emmaus. It was called the Chrysalis, which is a Walk to Emmaus for youth. And I went to this event with a couple of my really good grade school friends, and at that event, they preached a sermon similar to the one that I'm preaching tonight. And I just remember the, the Lord, Jesus, convicting me. And, and he said, yeah, I'm your Savior, but I'm not your Lord. Make me your Lord. And I've been in church long enough to know what to do. And so I just kind of knelt down at that altar. And I just said something like, Jesus, I, I'm sorry. I wanted the Savior part, but I didn't want the Lord part, which lets you lead my life. And I'm, I want to give my life to you for the rest of my life. I want you to be supreme. And for every, um, for, ever since then, I feel like I've, I've, I've really lived for him. Now, I've made mistakes. I still sin every single day. But my life's held together. In him, all things hold together. And even when things start to fall apart, I have an anchor to my soul. So you gotta invite him. Here's the second thing. You gotta involve him. Involve him in every area of your life. This was a pretty novel idea for me. Um, for the longest time, I kind of compartmentalized my faith to Sundays. That's just what I did. I just said, Sunday, this is, this is and I think part of the reason is because church looks so different from my life. The chairs are different, the windows are different, the songs are different, we talk different, everything was different. And so I compartmentalized my faith and then I had the rest of my life. And I remember when it kind of, the light bulb went on for me and I thought, oh wow, I can put Jesus in all areas of my life. And when I started to include him in every area of my life, I'll just tell you, it changed all, all parts of my life for the better. So just involve him. And here's the last one and I'm done. I want you to ignite a fresh passion 
to know Jesus more. You know what I love about this time of year? I love. It's because we end the year focusing on the person of Jesus. That's how we end the year. Focusing on the person of Jesus. And then one week later, it's a new year and a fresh start. I would love for you to say, okay. You hit, it, you hit the nail on the head, Reed. Uh, Jesus is not at the center of my life. And I'm going to start the new year. I want to make a New Year's resolution. And I don't want you to cancel it in February, okay? I want you to go all in this year. I love um, the Lamborghini. That's my dream car. I'll never own one, but I want to drive one. If anybody has a Lambo, I just need three minutes. I'll go 60. I'll, I'll go slow. Um, if you don't know what a Lamborghini is, it's the car in Dumb and Dumber that they purchased that's just obscene. And he has the IOUs and he goes, 275000 Might want to hang on to that one. That, that car, that's the car I want. But can you imagine if I had the keys to a Lambo? These are the keys to my office. These are not the keys to a Lambo. <laughs> and I said, hey, 2020, you give me your Honda Accord and you get the Lambo. And you drove that for a whole year. And at the end of the year, I said, hey, you want to keep the Lambo? There ain't anybody in here going, I want the Accord. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that. Test drive Jesus for one year. You can go back to your old way of life that's not working. Just one year. But here's the thing. You got to go all in. If you're here, that means coming to church as often as you can. That means getting involved. That means getting in your word. I'm not talking about reading books a day or chapters a day. Just get in it every day. Just read a verse a day, something. Pray to him. Spend time just talking to God. Get involved in a small group. Start serving. Jump on our dream team. I'm talking about get involved. Go all in. And I promise you, this time next year, you'll say, man, this is the greatest life ever. He came to give you not just eternal life, but abundant life on earth. He wants you to have a better life right now in this present age. That's what he said. But you kind of got to go all in. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart. You got to go all in. I want you all your heart. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, the eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. I want a fully committed heart. I'm going to strengthen that per. I see you. You're committed to me. I'm strengthening you because you're fully committed to me. Jesus is asked in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I want a holistic kind of a love. I want all that you have to give me. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Matthew 6, And all these things, all the things you worry about, where you're going to live and what you're going to eat, I'll take care of that. Just seek me first. Your life will never make sense until Jesus is the center of it all. I'm going to invite Robert to come up. And we're going to sing. I heard you singing a minute ago and you did sound good. And now I want you to sound loud. We're going to sing a very familiar song. Maybe one of my, probably, aside from Oh Holy, not my favorite Christmas song. Oh, come let us adore him. And I want you to adore him. I don't want these coming off your lips. I want these coming off your hearts. I want you to sing it loud. And if you're comfortable, I want you to raise your hands up and close your eyes. You don't need to read the words. You know the words. I want you to put Jesus back where he rightfully belongs.
Lord Jesus, all over this building, there are people who need you. Maybe they were in a relationship with you, but something, you just got moved, moved to the side. Not that you ever left them, you just moved to the side. And, and today's the day they rededicate their lives to you. They put you back in the center where you belong. Because when the nativity is set up right, it not only looks right, it works right. And I want their lives to be right. And I cannot think of a better gift to be given on this Christmas than to reunite with the one who created and loved us. Loved us so much that he robed himself in flesh and died for us. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand or stand up or come down, but listen, this is my Christmas gift to myself and to my Savior. This is the greatest. I, I, can't, I could not open a gift tomorrow that's any more valuable than you putting your faith in Christ today. And so, again, this is just private. I think there's a time where it needs to be public, but this is private. This is between you and God alone. But if you're here today and anything I've said has resonated with you, you say, Pastor Reed, I, that's me. You've read my mail this afternoon and I need to put Jesus at the center. I'm gonna lead you through a prayer. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And so I'm gonna pray for you. And if you wanna pray with me, just pray this over your lips. Just mean it as the only real thing. Say something like, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to die for me. That you were buried and you were resurrected. And you did all of that for me, for my sins and for the sins of everyone in the room. And today I give my life to you and I'm moving over to the passenger seat. I'm gonna let you drive. I want you to be the Lord going forward because I'm putting you where you rightfully belong at the center. I want you to be supreme in my life. I'm resetting the nativity scene in my heart. And then just tell him you love him. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen.